Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what we're preaching this week, what we're thinking about, and what astonishes us. And this one is going to be a little bit strange in our vast history of making a podcast together. <laughs> yeah, five weeks now. <laughs> right. um, because, and I've always really loved this, but we are actually preaching the same text Woo-hoo. this week, um, which is really fun. So for the next um, three-ish weeks... Um, we are doing the same sermon series in Advent about the prologue of John. Um, and so I was excited about this. I talked you into this um, because... I didn't want to do it at first, but... Uh... <laughs> but I love the idea that in the um, Christmas Eve service, which I know doesn't officially end the Christmas season, but I mean, it's a for most people, that will be the culmination of the Christmas season. Right. Um, we always end with the candle lighting and with the reading of these first verses of John. And I've always loved them, but I've never focused on them Mm. during Advent. And so I thought like, just from a um, structural perspective, it would be so cool to take a different part of that beautiful revelation during the weeks of Advent and then to end with reading that in the candlelight on Christmas Eve. And I just think it will be, I think people always experience it as beautiful and profound, but not always know what the meaning to make of it. So I think you're right. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, um, my whole thinking, um, on this normally during Advent, I mean, we should just say, we, we didn't talk about this, but I, I, over the course of my whatever, 17 years in ministry have done a complete 180 on how I feel about preaching during Advent. Um, because I came up in seminary and kind of met the liturgical year for the first time and fell in love with sort of the ancient Christian calendar and really bought into the idea that, you know, Advent is this time to focus on the coming of Christ and on the second coming of Christ. And that that's what, you know, our ancient sisters and brothers, and we need to recover that. Mm. And we needed to wait to talk about the birth of Jesus until Christmas. And we needed to wait on the Christmas carols, just wait for Christmas and leave Advent alone. And I just... No Christmas carols. Right. Like I, I really, really... Um, just felt super strongly about that. And, and it caused tension in some of the congregations, not that I led, but where I was an associate pastor. Mm. Um, but then uh, years ago, probably nine years ago, when mm. we started going through the transformation process together in our churches, you know, one of the things I realized is, wow, I'm our churches are supposed to be having a conversation with people who are not yet part of the faith, yeah, right? Yeah. And the whole world well, not the whole world, but much of the world that we live in is having a conversation about Christmas right now. And what does it mean? Yes. And what are, what is it all about? And for me to say, sorry, I'm not going to have that conversation yeah. with you <laughs> until December 25th, at which point you've moved on to New Year's, that's right. Right? That's right? Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, this is the time the culture 
gets interested in Jesus and who is Jesus and what does the birth of Jesus mean? And so I'm going to have that conversation um, with the people in my church and with the people who come to church and poke their head in. I'm going to unapologetically have that conversation. And then there are other times in the year where we can and do talk about the second coming of Christ and the return of Christ and, you know, all of that stuff. But now I'm going to allow my voice shape the conversation that the culture is having and that people in my congregation are having with their friends Mm. and neighbors and family members. So anyway, all that to say, normally in these past couple of years, I've done a lot of preaching on, you know, the, um, on, you know, the angel and Mary and on the Magnificat and on Joseph's dream and even the shepherds and really like this story that the culture is having a conversation about. Let me talk about what it means. But I realized that that really focuses on the human side Hmm. of Jesus being born, right? Which is great, which is fine. But this year, and I think we're going to call this the other side of incarnation and looking at this first Mm. chapter of John, I want us to think about the God side of incarnation, Mm. right? That what, like, let us just behold the vastness of God because we focus so much on the humanness of Jesus, which is great, but without equally knowing and contemplating just the vast sovereignty and majesty of Mm. God, then the incarnation doesn't mean anything. Um, And so I'll say one more thing and then I'll shut up, but I, um, I will not, but I will (laughs) pass the mic. Um, But normally when I am looking at a passage in scripture, I'm, My goal in the preaching moment is to make it, um, to maybe simplify it Mm. and to bring meaning to people. Um, So to take something that seems wildly complicated and and just like irrelevant Mm. and to make it just clear and simple and deeply meaningful. And I feel like what's interesting for me about preaching this passage for three weeks is I want to do exactly the opposite. Like Mm. I want to take something, this idea of incarnation that people already feel like they understand and love. And I want to complicate it. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I want to Mm -hmm. disrupt their understanding. Mm. I want to make them confused by the idea of God becoming flesh. And I, and we were saying earlier, like, I think that people sort of understand how the cross can be a stumbling block, but I want the incarnation Mm -hmm. to be a stumbling block because it can't be a revelation until it's a disruption of your understanding. And I just feel like for so many of us in the church and even outside the church, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God was born a baby, (laughs) baby Jesus, no big deal in the manger. Hallelujah. Angels, let's go home. And like, it is a scandal. And so I think that looking beginning with in the beginning was God and creation and mm-hmm. Trinity and all these other big ideas will, will just, will explode that and make people get that we're talking about God yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's what I want to do. I want to confuse. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, an interesting thing for, for a preacher to say, I'm trying to confuse you. You think you understand this text and you don't. And I want you to, you know, experience that. I can't, I can't comprehend this. That would be an interesting way to start your sermon. I think I will. (laughs) I'm here today to confuse you. That's right. Because you think you know this text, but you really don't. You do not. (laughs) So, and if your head does not hurt by the end of this sermon, then I have not done my job. Right. Anyway, so your turn. Well, I think there's a lot of value in what you're doing. Um, And I do think you're right. We come in with some assumptions thinking that we know what this is all about. And unless someone steps in 
and says, Skirt, no, you don't. Uh, let me point you to the mystery. Let me point you to the awe of this. Then we miss it. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's good and wonderful and right. However, I'm taking the opposite approach <laughs> to this uh, text. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've never uh, preached this. I have written papers. Yeah, me either. Have, and, yeah. and I remember the last time I wrote a paper, you know, many years ago in seminary, I focused on uh, Stoic philosophers and the meaning of the Greek word logos. And uh, I just didn't say anything. And one of the reasons why I did not want to do this series with you was because I was afraid the sermon would turn into that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Uh, as I said when we were walking, I'm just so uh, blessed by the students at our school, King's Academy, a little Christian school that uh, meets uh, on our campus. And I was meeting with the students yesterday, and um, we're looking at the first three verses of the Gospel of John. And I just handed them a half sheet of paper with those verses and said, you know, what, what does this say to you? Um, and one of the students immediately said, this is the prequel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all teenagers, and so they all get Star Wars prequel, and I got that they got mm-hmm. that. And so I said, say more. And um, the students started to say, well, this is all about who Jesus is, that he's God, that he is he's the revelation of God. And I mean, they were saying all these wonderful things, and it just came to me. I just got so excited. Um, so Holy Spirit clearly said to me, just keep it simple, Hinton. Keep it simple, <laughs> <laughs> because you know how you are. You, just keep it simple. However, in the simplicity, take people to a moment of decision, right? John says that the reason he wrote his gospel was so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Mm -hmm. son of God, and that by believing have life in his name. And so even though I want to make the message very, very simple, this is about answering the question, who is Jesus? Right. There's a difference between Facts about Jesus and believing Jesus. Well, and I want to make that distinction. And simple is harder than complicated. Right? Well, for me. I mean, well, for anybody. I, I mean, that that is clear. Like, we, simple has the illusion of easy. Mm. But the, really, the reality is to make something simple and clear is a much more difficult thing. I mean, and when I talk about wanting to disrupt and confuse people, it's because I think... It, what we have is not a simple understanding of Jesus. What we have is a lie. Right? Like what, yeah, what we have is an illusion, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, and so that's mm-hmm. a huge difference. I really liked what you said earlier today when we we're talking about this passage, which obviously does. This is the beginning of John's gospel. John says, like, where do I, how do I start telling the story of who Jesus is? Yeah. I start in the beginning. So the first thing you need to know about Jesus is you know, this reality you're living in, you know, where it came from all the way back, right? It came from God and the method, you know, the conduit was Jesus. And it, so, but I liked what you said before about, um, you know, we, the scripture testifies to a story again and again about God and reality and Mm. and God Mm. and us. And that is that God, you know, creates and initiates, you know, a reality, a covenant, a relationship with us. That's beautiful and holy and just good beyond belief. And then we rebel 
and God rescues us. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that is true in, in the garden and with Cain and with, you know, Jacob and Joseph and, and Israel the and exile. The exile and just again and again and again. And this good news is the, is the final installment of that saga of yeah. God coming to the world yeah. and rescuing the world and restoring the relationship in the person of Jesus. And all of that is, is right here in this prologue poem. Um, so I, I really like that idea, especially because I was saying we were at the end of Joseph last week and just talking about how, you know, Joseph, when he got the dream mm. from God about when he interpreted for Pharaoh, the dream God had given him about the famine and then the and, and what Joseph did with that dream mm. was to take a holy gift and turn it into a tragedy and mm. turn it into, you know, a, a system of enslavement and dehumanization and turning people created in the image of God into production commodities. And, and to realize that Joseph, you know, used, you know, his status as the chosen, a part of the chosen people to create this dystopian reality that didn't he didn't care because it wasn't happening to him and his people it was happening to the stupid egyptians and who cares about them (laughs) but then the reality is you know all those generations later the system that enslaves joseph's ancestors was created not by pharaoh but by joseph and we forget that part of the story Mm. we forget that god isn't rescuing us from other people Right. God is rescuing us from us. That's right. And that yeah. is what we need to understand, that the problem of evil in the world is not out there. It's in us, it's like in us. really us yeah. and in the chosen people. And we are not innocent victims. Mm-hmm. We are victimizers. And so anyway, I, I like that. And I think, you know, beginning with creation and saying, you know, this is both the beginning and the resolution climax of the story is great. So I'm excited. Um to go through this. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a great series. It is. And it's going to be really hard to keep it, um, you know, small because there's just so much in it. That's why I'm only doing three verses this week. I might, I might follow you on that. So anyway, we, we should move on. So what are you thinking about this week? I am thinking about my own expectation for God to do something big and miraculous in the preaching moment. And the reason I'm thinking about that is because... I was going to say, tell the story. Yes. (laughs) Um, Sunday, uh, you know, after we had traveled for Thanksgiving, got home on Saturday, was tired, worked late into the night to get sermon ready, and then taught a class in the morning and then had worship. After worship, instead of going to one of our discipleship classes that I usually sit in on, I went to my office to rest because I was exhausted And I just pulled this little booklet off of the shelf called um, How Corporate Prayer and Preaching Work Together, uh, written by, I think the last name is McGraw, published by um, Reformation Heritage Press, something like that. But the writer asked the question, do we expect God to do anything in the preaching moment? And says most preachers and most people in the pew really don't expect much from God Mm -hmm. in the preaching moment. Mm And I just got really convicted by that. Because, listen, I, I expect God to help me to explain, proclaim, and apply the text, which is good. Mm-hmm. But I can't say that I expect, well, I expect um, that God will somehow use the preaching eventually to grow the people. 
mm-hmm. but I don't think I expect anything big and amazing. And, you know, I can learn from our Pentecostal friends um, who can fall into the pitfall sometimes of trying to manufacture mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think I just don't expect enough in the right. preaching moment. And we were saying before, I mean, what's interesting about sort of having that experience and asking that question, and then the next thing we consider is this piece of scripture mm-hmm. is that, you know, when we say like in the beginning was the word, I, I mean, it's interesting that it's not in the beginning was the sun or right. in the beginning was, you know, I, I know of all the different names that Jesus has yeah. or the light or bread or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. I mean, it's in the beginning was the word. the word. And then literally in the beginning, the word created reality. And so the beginning of this revelation about Jesus, we call Jesus the word and immediately, and obviously we've read Genesis. And so we know God mm-hmm. speaks reality mm-hmm. into existence, mm-hmm. our reality into existence. And so for us, we have to take really seriously that words create reality words and create matter. life mm-hmm. and 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 not in a like I mean I know we get that words matter on a but I mean it's just on a supernatural mm-hmm. deeper sense so to say the preaching moment when the words are infused with God and our, our you know the Holy Spirit is doing whatever the Holy Spirit does mm-hmm. in our words that yeah I mean our words make reality and not ours in particular but mm-hmm. the word and Absolutely. so yeah. I, I think that that's a really important thing to believe. And I think, as we said before, like in this political moment and in really in all of them, Mm. I mean, words create, create culture Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. culture creates, you know, events and Mm -hmm. events have consequences. And so, yes, our words and the preaching moment, not with, not because of the us part of it, but because of you know, what we believe that God does in words and, and how, I, I think that's really. And big. I not only want to expect more, but to trust that God is already doing more right. than I'm thinking right. about. Right? right. And when we look at our communities and say, you know, these little communities that are written off and that in not only just in the secular culture, but even in religious culture, right. people we have less like, than hundred people, right? Like you losers, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and I, I mean, and I know when you tell the story, like I've had people say to me, like, don't you know, you could be an associate pastor at one of the big churches oh, in town, yes. like you, you okay. could have a real okay. job. But I mean, we believe that communities that are written off and despised and rejected by the culture can be the places where God is made flesh, right? Like, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's what I'm staking my life on. And that's, I think, what it means to say to have your life in the name of Jesus is to say, well, to, to have my life in the culture would be to say, let me get to the biggest, richest, most important, powerful place I can be and then do my yeah. God stuff. But to do my work in the name of Christ in the places and ways that I think Christ showed up, like that's putting my life in the life of Jesus, right? So I, anyway. Yeah, well, I just great. think this is important for all small church pastors. Well, I think it's important for pastors, yes, period. But I think it's especially important for small church pastors because we're just tempted to think... Um, well, I think we're tempted to think once we hit X, Y, or yes. Z, then God will yes. A, B, and C. And yes. that's just not how the kingdom has ever worked. Yeah. And that's not to disparage our friends who are 
pastoring other kinds of churches. It's not just at to all. say, it's not just to all. say, we, we need to understand the importance of. I just think that there are particular temptations. Right. For small church pastors. Right, right, right. Um, we are running out of time, so we need to move on. We have actually 34 seconds left. Oh, wow. So okay. That's the problem. So what um, is astonishing you? Well, I don't get to tell you what I'm thinking about. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, you said we need I to I did talk on. a lot. We okay. do need to, I, I will just say really quickly, um, my, what I'm thinking about and what is astonishing me is really the same. Um, and that is we are approaching the first Sunday of Advent and I am finding myself in the same situation that I have for the past several years, which I both feel deeply convicted about and ridiculous. And mm. that is um, we have this huge art installation that a small group of us are working on um, because every year about this time, I just feel like it's really important to transfigure the sanctuary, the sacred space in a way that is um, astonishing and mm. is more beautiful than it has to be. And we mm. were talking earlier on the walk about just, you know, a lot of people who um, have access to beautiful spaces all the time. And generally people who have access to beautiful spaces are people who are, um, you know, upper middle class, mm -hmm. upper class in America mm -hmm. anyway. And so, you know, you live in a beautiful neighborhood and in a beautiful home and you send your kids to a beautiful school and you might work in a beautiful place like mm -hmm. the courthouse or you shop in a beautiful Whole Foods. I yeah, mean, just yeah. <laughs> every space that you enter into has been prepared and maintained mm. with excellence. Wow. And it, and it, and it says something to you about who you are and the importance of what you're doing, right? Wow. And so in this community that I love so much, that I see so much beauty in and so much holiness in, but I know that my my friends and my neighbors in East Charlotte often, you know, don't get to live in beautiful spaces mm -hmm. and don't get to send their kids to school, the schools that are utilitarian yeah. and not that there isn't beautiful work going on in there. There is, and just heroic teachers who are going above and beyond, but like the schools look like prisons from the outside and there's yeah. no money wasted on landscaping or on, you know, like yeah. just, and so I, I think that there's this tension for me at the Grove all the time between wanting to create things and spaces and art installations that are just beautiful and useless, right? Mm. Like they don't have to be there mm -hmm. to make things that are more beautiful than they have to be as a way of just bearing witness to the sacredness of the people and the place and God who made a world that is mm. more beautiful than it has to be, yeah, I think. Yeah. And beauty isn't functional and mm. it just, it matters. Um, so as a part of that, once again, we're doing this huge art installation, um, we think, making these stars that are like you know 15 inches in diameter and we want to hang 100 of them from the ceiling and i'm afraid of heights and there's a small group of us and also you know when you have this vision to make something more beautiful than it has to be but you also are a mission-oriented church so you don't have a lot of money period and then if you did have a lot of money you probably wouldn't i don't know it's just a thing and so every year about this time like i'm like cutting things and stapling things and and staying up late and trying not to fall off ladders and i'm thinking like I am astonished that I do this every year and that I don't ever learn my lesson and that I'm always like, this is either going to be the most amazing thing or the most ridiculous thing. This is either like the height of my prophetic faithfulness or like just a ludicrous waste of the time that the congregation has given me. And I never know which one it will be. Wow. Wow. Um, so I'm in my little fool for Christ space um but but and how many more stars do you need to make well we worked on sunday after worship 
and I worked some more yesterday and last night. So I think we have like 35, so only 65 more to go. And, and how then, long has it taken you to make 35? I mean, a long time, a long time, which is what my husband very unhelpfully pointed out to me last night. I was like, you know, sometimes silence is love. And also, I still don't know how we're going to hang them, but mm. um, I mean, whatever, we'll figure it out. But um, that is what is I'm thinking about and what is astonishing me this week. What is astonishing you? I am astonished by... Advent, and in particular, fasting. Every year, without putting it on the calendar, without even really thinking about it, I sense a call to fast during Advent. And it's just, it's just there. It just comes to me. And since, wow, as long as I can remember, probably since college, so a lot of years, mm-hmm. Um, And fasting, for me, usually looks like several days during the week, uh, no foods from uh, sunup to sundown, only liquids, light meal after uh, sunset, and um, to fill the extra time that I would take eating, prayer, reading scripture, and... um, I want to congratulate you on only hearing the call to fast during the shortest days. Well, <laughs> hey, listen, like, that's just how this God does not call you to fast in listen. midsummer, right? <laughs> right? Actually, have I ever fasted in midsummer? No, I don't think so. I'm sorry. But, I'm just cynical because when God it, sends me the call to fast, I think I, I hang up. I reject the phone. I need to. It's always better. good, though. It me. is. Yes. And, um, I'm in the process of planning this year's fast, and like, I was driving in this morning, and just texts like, um, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You will seek me and find me when you Mm. seek me with all your heart. Those just, they just resonate. And um, I, at the same time, sense the longing, hunger, for God and a, a satisfaction, a pleasure, a rest in in the fasting, and so um, yeah, I'm just astonished that the Spirit moves me to that every year, and I don't. I, it's not work, it, and it's it, I'm astonished by that, and the, it is definitely the Holy Spirit because I like ice cream, and I like <laughs> I like a whole bunch of things that I shouldn't eat, and um, and it's not it's not hard. It is, yeah. It's not hard, and so I'm astonished by that. Well, that was great. Well, we are out of time, yes. so we will pick it up next week, but thanks. Yeah, all right. See ya.